listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Now you guys can grab a seat. It's good worship this morning. Would y'all agree? Five people. I like it. All right. Uh, man, that song, it's a good song. It always gets me going. Uh, just to kind of reintroduce myself, my name is Richard Cruz. I'm the high school pastor here at Southcrest, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be able to get into God's Word with you guys this morning. I'm excited. Anybody excited to get into God's Word this morning? Come on, I'm, I'm awake, I'm alive, I'm, I'm ready. Y'all ready? Yes, all right, cool. In the late 1970s, some of you may have remembered this, the Southern Baptist Convention, which is uh, the convention that Southcrest Church affiliates himself with, um, with the majority of other Southern Baptist churches around the, the, the nation and the globe, uh, in, the light, in the late 1970s, the Southern Baptist Convention, they experienced an intense time of struggle. Uh, and they, it was a struggle over the, the control and the future of the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention. Because you had many people who were in high-ranking positions in different agencies within the SBC, presidents of seminaries, and uh, a number of professors in these seminaries who have openly affirmed and supported a more liberal or leftist view of certain key uh, doctrinal SBC beliefs, such as uh, the inerrancy of scripture and on uh, certain doctrinal beliefs such, uh, that have to do with the person and the word and the work of Christ. <clears throat> and so what you had taking place was this slow shift from these central key doctrines that started shifting more to a liberal or open view of these certain key things. Um, and this was, it, it, it was all throughout the SBC. Um, and so what took place was, in, in the late 1970s, going into the early 80s, um, was this thing called this conservative resurgence that took place. And it was spearheaded by several men, but one key person that was uh, elected president, I think it was in 1979, was a man by the name of Dr. Adrian Rogers. Many of you may, you may have heard of him. He pastored Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee for several years before he passed away. Um, they elected him president. He kind of led the charge to, to bring the SBC back to the central truth uh, and the central doctrines based upon the word and the work of Christ. Um, so many of you, you've heard of Adrian Rogers. He's a hero of the faith. Uh, but maybe a lesser-known name that many of you probably have never heard of, but his personal uh, hero of, of faith in my eyes was, was a name by Dr. Gray Allison. Dr. Gray Allison, in the early 70s, he saw this shift begin to start taking place. He was a teacher. Uh, he was on, on uh, a professor at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary at the time. And he saw this shift taking place, and so he decided that he was going to start a seminary that was based upon the inerrancy of scripture, based upon the, 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 the truth that scripture says about Christ, who he is, his word, and, and the work of Christ. And he was, gonna, he was gonna be based on these key central doctrinal truths. And so 
Uh, he was in Louisiana, but he started really the school in Arkansas, but quickly moved it to Memphis, Tennessee, where it still resides today. Uh, th that school is called Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm going to give them a little shout out. It's where I got my undergrad. Um, and it is an incredible school. And Dr. Gray Allison, he, he, he had the, the uh, I'm trying to think of the word here, the, the, the know-how to, to, to see kind of where, where this shift was taking place. And so he was going to say, I'm going to stand firm on the word of God and these key central doctrinal truths, and I'm not going to move. And that thought process permeated through all of what Mid-America even is to this day. And when he moved, to Tennessee, he moved to Memphis, him and Adrian Rogers became good friends. And so Adrian Rogers supported, they still, Bellevue Baptist Church, they still support uh, Mid-America to this day. But that thought that Christ is central in all things um, permeates through all of Mid-America, even to this day. So I'm going to show you a few pictures of, of Mid-America. The first picture uh, that, that you'll see is, so those crosses, if you've ever been to Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, they had these three huge crosses at Bellevue Baptist Church. And then across that street, that's Appling Road, uh, and that's I-40 that runs by it. That's Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. It's where I did my undergrad. Tony also went to school there. That's where I met Tony. Uh, hashtag Mid-America. What's our mascot? I don't even remember. Did we have a mascot? I don't think, I don't think we had a mascot. The Bible was our mascot, all right? So <laughs> we were real spiritual, right? So you see Mid-America, and what's cool about this, remember I was saying that the idea that Christ was central in all things permeated through the whole school. As a matter of fact, when they built the school, uh, Bellevue donated a lot of that land to uh, Mid-America. I'm gonna show you another picture looking out the second store, the second story window in the lobby. They built the school ge geographically, yes, geographically, to where it's centered on the cross. Like it's not built to where it's centered to the road, it's centered, it's kind of like cattywampus a little bit. Is that a word? That's a word, right? Uh, to the cross. Like they built with this idea that the cross and, the, and Christ is central to everything. And they even built the school this way. And I remember many, every day walking by this and I was reminded, is my life centered on Christ? And I, thought, I, think about, I thought about the school because every time I think about Colossians, I think about Colossians 1.18. Colossians 1.18b, if you will, which says that in all things, he, Christ, may be preeminent. And that is the key verse that Mid-America has to this day. So everything that I learned at Mid-America was centered on the person, the word, and the work of Christ. And so I can't help, um, you can go back to the, the title slide now. I can't help but think about when we get into Colossians, my mind goes to Colossians 1.18. And that's a great verse because I think it also kind of sums up what Paul's really getting at here to the church and these people in, in Colossae that Christ is supreme. That's what, that's what preeminent means. He is supreme. He is everything. He is central to everything and he is sufficient for all things. That's really the point in what Paul was writing to uh, this church. So I can't help to think about when, when Brandon asked me to, to, to preach in Colossians, this is where my mind went, but it also has a lot to what we're preaching on this morning. A Christ-centered church. If you've been following along in this series um, from the beginning, uh, you'll probably remember that, that Paul, 
is writing, he's in prison, but he's writing to this church, a real church full of real people who are dealing with real doctrinal issues and philosophies. Uh, if, if you know the context of Colossians, Paul never visited this church. He never, he never saw these people that, that we know of. And so he's, he, he had gotten word that they were dealing with certain things, um, such as these Jewish customs and this, this philosophy called Gnosticism, like a form of Gnosticism, which really, Gnosticism, it, it really speaks to the person of Christ. See, they, they believe that everything that is spiritual is perfect and good, and everything that is material is evil and bad. So how could Christ be perfect and good, be God? How could he be God and material man at the same time? How could God, how could Jesus be fully God and fully man? And so this ideology kind of was creeping into this church, and so Paul was writing to them uh, that's why you see in the first two chapters who Christ is. He is supreme in all things. And he addresses these issues in the first two chapters. And in, in chapters three and four, which we're in now, it's all this practical exhortation regarding Christian conduct, conduct as a result of who Christ is. And I really believe Paul does a remarkable job, and I love Colossians, because he really points us to the sufficiency of Christ in all things. And and and. Another way to look at it is this. The first two chapters, Christ is sufficient in our salvation, the deity of Christ, who Christ is. But in these, these last two chapters, which we're in now, chapters three and four, Christ is sufficient in our sanctification and how we live as believers. And that's what, that's what Paul is talking about here. Uh, or, or, it's really where we're going this morning. So let me give us, let me catch us back up a little bit because Paul is the king of run-on sentences and thoughts and we're kind of picking up in the middle of a thought that we got into last week with Tony. Um, so I mentioned the first two chapters, Paul's addressing these uh, false heretical views and he, he's magnifying Jesus as sufficient over everything and all things. He is supreme. He is central to everything. And then Chapter three starts, therefore, since you have been raised with Christ, so believers, because we've been raised with Christ, we've been given this new position with Christ. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says we're a new creation. We're co-heirs with Christ. He says, seek the things that are above at the beginning of chapter three. And then he goes on and says, put to death these certain things. And then last week, as Tony preached, um, he preached on not only put to death, but put on these new clothes, as Tony mentioned, this new reality that believers have. And so Paul still has that same kind of thought process, and we're picking up this morning in that, um, in that same thought process. We're only covering two verses. I only got two points for you, so it should be easy. I promise you I'm going get to get you out of here on time. You can pick up some Chick-fil-A on the way home. I was making sure you are paying attention. I like it. All right. Uh, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm excited. We're going to have a good time this morning. I really believe if, if, if you ask the pastors here at Southcrest and, and the staff here that work here, what would you want Southcrest Baptist Church here in Lubbock, Texas, what would you want this church to be? And I really think in a roundabout way, everyone would, 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 would really say, I, would, I want Southcrest to be known as a Christ-centered church. And I really think if, if I gave y'all a poll and everyone uh, asked you what you wanted Southcrest to be, I, I think it would be the same thing. I hope it would be. And so this morning, I want to I address this. How can we as individuals who make up Southcrest Baptist Church be Christ-centered? 
That's the goal. All right? Y'all excited? I'm excited. All right. So as I mentioned earlier, we're going we're gonna to pick up in Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. If you're looking for a Bible, there should be one in the, the seat in front of you. It's the ESV version, which is what I'm preaching from. And we're going to read verses 16 and 17. And we're going to have a good time this morning. So read with me. Colossians 3, verse 16 says this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In verse 17, he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you pray with me real quick? God, I pray that um, this morning as we dive into your word that, that we would let your word dwell in us richly this morning. That we would allow the word to change us, to mold us, to conform us to your son Jesus. I pray you re- remove me and that you would speak through your word this morning and that your word would land on fertile soil and open ears and open hearts this morning. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We all praise things in his name. Amen. All right, so we just read these verses. So if we're going to be a Christ-centered church, the first thing that we need to do, we need to remember is what he says in verse 16 is this. This is the first point you can write down. The message of Christ must be central. The message of Christ must be central to everything that we say and do. If we're going to be a Christ-centered church. Let's look at the first part of the, uh, verse 16 real quick. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you a little bit. No, richly. Dwell in you richly. Now, first, the word of Christ, he's pointing to the scriptures. Um, the scriptures point to Jesus. As John 1 says, Jesus is the word. He is the, the revelation that was brought into this world. It's, it's, all the scriptures are fulfilled in Christ, they all point to Christ. So if I could give you the Cliff Notes version of, of this book right here, it would be the redemptive plan of God for his people through the, the sacrifice and work and words of Christ. So all these scriptures point to Christ. So the scriptures is the word and the gospel. And he says, allow this word, scripture, to dwell in you richly. Now this word richly, as I just mentioned, uh, it means abundantly or extravagantly rich overflowing, if you will. So it's not just, I come on Sunday, I read a few verses, and I'm good to go throughout the week. No, he's saying the word of Christ should dwell in us richly. It should be overflowing when, when we speak, when we address people, when we hang out with people. The word, of, the word of God should naturally overflow into our speech and everything that we do. That's what he's saying. Now this word dwell is an interesting word. It really means to live in, to be at home. So it's this picture that, that he's, Paul's writing and saying, allow God's word to make it its home in your heart, to, to make its home. Uh, the Lord's good and gracious, and, and, and this week, um, he's allowing me and my family to uh, go visit my, my in-laws, but we're gonna go visit Colorado and uh, in the Denver area. I've never really been up to that area, so I'm excited. I'm excited to go 
We're gonna get to go, um, Lord willing, to the Rocky Mountain National Park. I know it doesn't compare to Lubbock, but it, it, I'm excited about it. Um, we're gonna maybe get to go to the Garden of the Gods. Might get some fishing in there, all right? My wife's saying, maybe I'll let you do it some, okay? Uh, but I'm excited, and, and excited as I'm gonna be to spend a week in Colorado just getting away from everything, spending time in Lord's creation, spending time with family, getting away. At the end of the week, no matter where we go, when we go on vacation or we go back home or whatever, me and my wife, we always talk about we're just ready to, to get back home. We're ready. As fun as it's been, as awesome as that's going to be, I'm always ready to come back home. Because home is comfortable, right? It's, it's, we, we belong there. We can let our guards down there. I'm reminded of a verse when I think about this. It's Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. It says this. It says, for the word of God, so scripture, it's living and it's active, meaning it's always relevant in any time, especially right now. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of the soul and of the spirit and of the joints and of the marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And verse 13 says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who, to whom we must give an account. I think a lot of people maybe don't allow God's word to dwell in their heart because it reveals things in us. It confronts us. It confronts things in our hearts that, that we bury down, that we want to hang on to. And when you get into the word of God, you're, you realize pretty quickly, I'm pretty messed up. No, I'm, I'm really messed up. And, and, and when I, I align myself with the standard of Christ, which God's word tells us about, not the standard of other people, I realize, man, I fall short every single day. And some people, they don't like that, especially unbelievers, right? Paul even says in 1 Corinthians that the word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, which is why you can share God's word in truth and they hate it because it's foolishness to them. They don't understand. Their life hasn't been changed by Christ, like our lives have been changed. But I think about this word home, and it's, and it's, it's, it's a comfortable place. I, we can let our guards down. When, when this past week, when it was over 100 degrees every single day, which was terrible, um, what's the first thing you do when you get home after a long day's work? Now, I change it into something like comfortable, right? I get out of my work clothes, I change it into something comfortable, I relax, I just hang out. It is a comforting place. And same thing with God's word. We don't have to be dressed up and we don't have to be someone that we're not. We can come openly and honestly and vulnerable to God's word because God already knows everything about us. And we can allow God's word to just dwell in us richly. We can come just as we are and we can allow God's word to shape us and to mold us and conform us more to the image of Christ. And that is the goal of the believer. So, how do we allow God's word to dwell in us? Now, I, I know you've heard this. We need to read God's word. It's like a Sunday school answer you're gonna hear, but it's so true. It really is. But I'm gonna give you some practical ways really quick to do that. Um, I'm gonna call um, Jack Louder. Is he in here? Jack Louder's gonna come up and help me with this illustration. I needed somebody really strong. And of course, Brandon's not in here because he's preaching over there. But if y'all didn't know, Jack Louder does CrossFit, okay? So... I've called Jack to help me out with this. Any CrossFit people in here? 
I feel like you'd already told me. Cole, yeah, you already told me. All right, so um, Jack's a, a big, strong guy. But I, w- I want to use this illustration here to help you get into God's word, okay? So help you really grasp God's word. Maybe you've seen this before, but I use this, the hand illustration. Do you have five fingers? Just making sure you have no, all right, no 4th of July firework accident or nothing like that. Uh, so the first way to really grasp God's word for the believer, we'll say gigum, right? Yeah. A&M here, okay, is to hear God's word. All right, and, and this is, we know that hearing God's word is a good thing. Romans, Paul says um, that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. So hearing God's word is a good thing for us, right? But let's say your thumb, I want you to grasp this Bible, not with your fingers, but just your thumb, all right? Just your thumb. You have much of a grip. I mean, as strong as CrossFit Jack is, okay? Do y'all do like thumb workouts there? Like deadlifts, thumb lifts here. Y'all do any of that? Every now and again. Every now and again. You got you to keep your thumbs, really. <laughs> as James says uh, to believers, it, it's not enough to only be hearers of the word, but also what? Doers of the word. So it's not enough to just, if you want a good grasp on God's word, it's not enough to just be a hearer only. Okay? So first thing we can do, it's good for us, is to hear God's word. By the way, we, uh, the church has, there's a, well, it's not the church's app, but there's an app called Dwell that the church has been so kind of, because it usually costs money to get this. Um, if you have questions, come see Jack about it. But the church has purchased uh, a way for you to have a free account with Dwell. And the, the Dwell app is simply this. Um, it reads the Bible to you. So as you're getting ready, putting on your makeup, guys, things like that, you can hear God's word on your way to work, on your way to school, you can literally put it on and it reads God's word. You can pick whatever voice you want. I got like a, a, a British guy reading to me because that's cool. I feel smarter when I, when I do that. It's like Jarvis. Um, so hearing God's word is good, but it's not the only way or best way to really have a grasp on the word of God. Okay, the second thing, guns up here, okay. Uh, the second, not only hearing, but also we need to be reading God's word. Reading, and, and again, it's not just coming on Sunday and, oh, I read a couple of verses this morning because that's what we are in. Because that's not really richly dwelling in you when you're just reading on Sunday, but really reading, having a, a, a time every day where you set apart to get away and really read God's word. Now, I want you to, to do this, same thing. Pretty good grip, all right? But it could be better, right? So it's not enough to just hear God's word and only read God's word, because you're Although that's good, and it's a good place to be, it's not the best place for believers. It's not the best place to allow God's word to really dwell in us. So first two are hearing God's word, reading God's word. The third one is this, studying God's word. Studying God's word. And this really is really looking into what this verse means in the context. As I mentioned earlier, as we're going through Colossians, if you didn't know that Paul was writing to a church to address Gnosticism and these other things like this, you would just read through Colossians and be like, huh, that's cool. Christ is pretty cool, right? But when you understand that he's writing to real people with real issues, then, then you can really help bridge that gap from 2,000 years ago, what these people were dealing with, to what we're dealing with now. And so studying is important. But as you know, three fingers here, it's not the best grip to really grasp God's word. All right, fourth thing, it's getting easier for you, hopefully. Uh, we have hearing God's word, reading God's word, 
studying God's word. The fourth thing, I can't really do this. I have like a broken pinky here. Uh, The fourth thing is memorizing God's word. Memorizing God's word. And this is, I think about David in Psalms when he says, God, I've, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He's, he's memorized God's word. If you read in Ephesians 6, Paul discusses the, the armor of God and, 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 and everything is it's armor except for one thing. You have a sword and it's the sword of the spirit. It's, it's God's word. When Jesus was being tempted, what did he do? He, he spoke scripture. If, I, if I'm dealing with certain sin in my life and I'm trying to battle that sin, I'm trying to uh, really walk in step with the spirit, I'm, I'm going to memorize scripture that's going to help me battle that sin. So when that temptation comes, I, I, I can I have God's word memorized and I, I can speak God's word in that moment to myself and to that temptation. So memorizing God's word is an incredible tool that we have uh, to, to really grasp God's word. Did you already do it? No, you haven't done it yet. All right. Without the pinky there. All right. Last thing. CrossFit Jack here. Here we go. We hear God's word. It's good. Reading God's word is good. Studying God's word is really good. Memorizing is really, really good. But the last thing, if you want to have a firm grasp on God's word and allow it to dwell, allow it to take root in your life. The fifth thing that we need to do is meditation. It's to meditate on God's word. And that's really this idea of, of, of chewing on this meat, of chewing on God's word. As, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking about it, I'm memorizing it, and throughout my day, I'm, I'm, I'm recalling that. I'm, I, it's permeating through everything that I do. Every decision I make, the gospel is gonna affect every decision throughout my day because I'm, I'm really meditating on God's word day and night, okay? You do those five things, Get you a good grip on that. You got a good grasp. Now, I'm not going to tear my Bible, but you have a, a good grasp on God's word. Those five things are going to help you really allow God's word to dwell and make a home in your heart. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate that. Y'all give Jack a hand. If you do those five things, you have a firm grasp without even doing CrossFit. Isn't that right, Jack? It'll be more like you'll be fit with the cross. I got dad jokes for days, y'all. Sorry, just naturally, I apologize to my wife over here. I'm sorry for that. TJ, can we edit that out back there? Can y'all do that? Okay. Um, but it's true. When we say to get into God's word, we're not just saying it's just good for you, you should do it. It it means something. There's a reason for this, and it's not only for personal sanctification, but it's also for public sanctification. Look what he says here uh, in his verses. I'm going to quickly keep going here. So he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So that's personal. And this is why it's good for the church. It's, It's good for you, but it's also good for the church. This is why it says teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing. This word admonishing really just means to warn people, to tell people, to see kind of what's going on in in, in the world in the current relevant times and saying, but God's word says this about that. And teaching. I tell this to my students all the time. How can we expect to teach someone something that you don't know yourself? 
So adults, how can we expect to be small group teachers or a Bible study leaders or parents? How can we expect to disciple our kids or dads? How can we expect to wash our wives in the word as Ephesians 5 says, or students? How can we expect to share the gospel if we don't know it, if we're not getting in it? If we're not allowing God's word to permeate through every bit of our life, to control every thought, every word, every deed, to take root in our lives. It's important because it's only for you. It's for the betterment of the church, that the church can be Christ-centered because the word of Christ is central. So don't just underline these verses. Allow these verses to underline your life and allow them to make home in your heart That way we can all more effectively teach and admonish one another and we can have wisdom. Wisdom would be a good thing for everyone to have right now, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. We need true biblical teaching now more than ever. So as individuals and as the church, it's important to allow God's word to dwell in us richly so we can teach each other, we can admonish each other, but also it affects our worship. And I mean like singing worship. Keep reading with me here. So he's allowed God's word, the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, but also singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I love music. I love to play music. I'm not very good, but I love to play it. I grew up listening to good music. My dad made sure I listened to 80s rock and roll and 90s country, okay? Amen. It's not as good as spirit. I'm gonna be more spiritual. It's not as good as worship music, right? but I love worship music. There's something about music that changes the emotion of things. If I'm having a bad day, I can go put on a worship song and it can change my entire mood. Anyone else ever feel like that? Worship just does something. It does something personal to us. We should be having a personal worship time where, where, where we're reading and singing songs. By the way, if you want a good, uh, a good per, uh, group to go listen to that sings the word of God, Shane and Shane, a little plug for them, some of my favorite they have a Psalms album, a couple of them that are incredible. And they, they literally make songs from the Psalms. A little plug for them. Um, they write me a check on the side here. <laughs> um, just kidding. But knowing the word of God, it affects the way that we worship. Because when I, when I understand God's word, it, it, I'm gonna understand the words that I'm singing and the reason I'm singing. I can tell you this, David and, and, and Jerry, I know them both personally, and, and they don't just get up here and just sing any song. They don't get up here and just sing popular songs. Matter of fact, I know of a, a couple songs that they, while they may be popular, they're not theologically Christ-centered, and so we don't do them, or they, they chose not to do them, which is a good thing, because it matters what you say, even singing-wise, right? They're, Babylon B is a, uh, it's a, a funny Christian satire site. One of their headlines was, um, the ACDC song, Highway to Hell, is theologically more correct than 90% of the worship songs that are out right now. Um, it's true. <laughs> and so the words that we sing matter because we want to be Christ-centered in all that we do. And I can tell you this, when they pick out a song, it's, it, it's, it's centered on the word of God because the word of God affects even how we sing. And there's something about, I love singing in my car. Thankfully, not a lot of people can hear me when I sing. Um, but when we come here, there's something special. Wouldn't y'all agree? When we get together and we sing God's word together, wouldn't y'all agree? It's something special there. 
something some special that takes place. I, I think of it like a choir. Individually, I, I think a lot of us don't sing because one, we're scared of how we look, but also we probably don't sing that well, right? Maybe you're like me. I, I've heard some of y'all sing and it, you probably should let the rocks cry out, honestly. But, um, but thankfully the Lord doesn't say make a pleasing noise. He says make a joyful noise. And so because the word of God has so much made its home in our heart, it, 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 it help, holds captive every thought and word and deed that we do. When I sing a song like Death Was Arrested, I know why I'm singing Death Was Arrested. It's not just a cool phrase, which it is, that death was arrested, but death was arrested because I know scripture, he's talking about that Jesus on the cross drank the cup of wrath for me and for you upon the cross. And in that moment, he was the one true perfect sacrifice, the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. And he arrested death and sin for good. As Paul says, death, where is your victory? Where, where is your sting? So when I sing death was arrested, it means so much more than just a cool phrase. It's the gospel. And I think about my life. And so that's why when we sing, it affects our worship. And like I mentioned earlier, there's something about singing together, something that takes place. And God's word said that he inhabits the praises of his people. And I love getting to sing and, and praise with you. So our singing again, is a direct result of our knowledge of the word. So second point here, if we want to be a Christ-centered church, and I really believe that we all would agree on that, not only should the message of Christ be central, but my last and second point is this, the name of Christ must be supreme. So the word of Christ must be central in all that we say and do. We, we, we can't falter from that, but also the name of Christ must be supreme. Let me read verse 17 again. It says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, this is both personal and communal, right? It, it, individually, if my life is making much of Jesus, if Jesus is supreme in my life, if, 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 if I'm doing everything for his glory individually, and all y'all are doing that too, when we get together, we're going to all be doing that together in, in, in a communal way. And God is really going to be using Southcrest, not only for here in Lubbock, but around the world. And, and we're all a part of the body of Christ that comes together. And we lift up the name of Jesus together. And Christ's name is supreme. So when we individually make Christ supreme in our lives, when we understand that he alone is sufficient for all things, it's going to affect the way we serve one another. As, as uh, Tony mentioned last week in verse 13, in brotherly love, it's going to affect the way we worship together. It's going to affect the way we teach and admonish one another. If I personally and you personally make Christ everything, that's a good thing because when we get together, Christ is still everything. This verse really simply means uh, to act consistently with who he is and what he wants. So because of who Christ is, as Paul mentioned in the beginning of chapter three, so since you've been raised with Christ, so since who Christ is, because of who he is, this is what we do as believers. This is what God wants, this is what I want. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where Paul says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, 
do all to the glory of God. So even in the most meaningless things that you can think about, your everyday life, the word of God should affect, the gospel should affect every decision that we make as believers. That's what, he, that's what he's saying here. So as a church, we identify with Christ. We don't identify with a left or a right side. We're centered on Christ. We don't identify with an elephant or a donkey. We identify with the lamb. I think about this church, and I'm a little biased because I, I, I do work here, but I really believe this is our heart, that we want to be a Christ-centered church. So I'm going to leave you with this. I told you I'd be done, hopefully soon enough for you to still get some Chick-fil-A. I'm thinking about um, being a Christ-centered church and then me individually being Christ-centered and as a church, hopefully that's what you want. That's what Paul is calling us to. So this is what I'm going to leave you with. May everything that we say and everything that we do be done in the supreme name that is above all in the other names, Christ Jesus. For his sake, for his reputation, for his fame, and for his glory. And may our lives and may this church make much of him. Amen. I'm asked the band to go ahead and, and, and come up. Some simple truths here, but just because they're simple doesn't mean they're easy. I know how hard it is to, to get up and, and to spend time reading God's word. I know how hard it is to allow God's word to permeate and, and, and make its home and dwell in my heart so much that it affects every decision I make. I would, I would not be telling the truth if I said that that's the case in my life every single day, because it's not. It's also not easy to make Christ's name supreme in your life. Because we, we have this, this fleshly desire to, to do what we want instead of what God wants. And that's a battle every single day. To say, God, get up. today I'm gonna get up and I want you to fill me with your spirit and I want you to fill me with your word so that I'm walking in step with you, not, not behind you or in front of you, but I wanna walk in step with you and I wanna do what you call me to do and I wanna do everything in, in the power of your name and I wanna represent your name to this lost, dying, and broken world that's around me. And I wanna be a light in a dark place for you because that's what you've called us to do. So it's not easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it if people can look at your life and say, man, there's, there's something different. And Christ is at the center of their life or this church that we're known for being centered on the person and the work and the word of Christ. We're not known for anything else, but we love God, we love people, we love his word. And we're going to stay Christ-centered regardless of what's going on around us. So the band's going to play. Anytime we hear from God's word, there's always a response that we have. So you can, you, you heard this morning, hopefully you were listening. You heard the challenge that we must be Christ-centered and, and, and 
God's word should dwell in us richly and that we sh- his name should be supreme in our lives. So the challenge for you, if you're a believer here this morning, is this. Is that true in your life? Are those two points, are they true and individually in your life? Because we understand that individually affects the church. Also, is that true for this church? So as we sing a song during that time, I wanna challenge believers to really think about that, to ask God to reveal, where's some places in my life, God, where you're not supreme? Maybe it's this relationship or this friendship or uh, my job or this extracurricular activity that, that I sometimes look to more than you. God, show me where that is. And I want you to repent of that. And I want you to ask God to help you move on from that, to help you make his word home in your life, to help you get up and dive into it, have a firm grasp on it, but also to help make his name supreme in your life. For the others here this morning, maybe you're here, uh, maybe you came with a friend, maybe you've been coming, but if you're honest with yourself, you've never had a time in your life where you have given your life to Christ. I, I mean, you've placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and you've repented of your sins and you've asked God to, to, to save you. And can I tell you, I have good news for you this morning. The gospel is good news, and it's this, that God loves you. That God demonstrated that love, Romans 5, 8 says, in that while we were still sinners, so while God knew that you were going to sin against him, Jesus stepped out of heaven. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and he lived a perfect life, and he went to the cross for you and for me. And God demonstrated that love and that while we were still sinners, it says this, this is so good, that Christ still died for us. He still died for you. There's, there's, there's not a sin in your life that you've done that, that Jesus says, I, I, I already didn't die for that. I've already arrested death on the cross. So God loves you, he wants to meet you where you're at, but he doesn't wanna leave you where you're at. So he provided a way for you to be reconciled to, to, to be made right with the Father. That's what Jesus did. And Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he's not just your savior, he's not just saving you from hell, but he's Lord, he is supreme in your life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it's a promise in scripture that we see and it says you will be saved. And the beautiful thing, Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. That's everybody. And you can do that this morning. I want to invite you to do that this morning. It's the most important decision you're ever going to make. I want to challenge you, don't leave here this morning without having to talk with somebody. We're going to have some, some pastors around. We're going to have some people praying around in the room. We also have a room. If, if it's something really personal, there, you can ask them to take you. There's a room right across here in the business office where you can sit down and have an a intimate, deep conversation. We would love to do that with you. I'm going to be standing in the back. I'd love to, I'd love to help you. I'd love to pray with you. Uh, whatever it is, we're going to sing a song, and God's calling us all to respond now. So let's all stand and sing. I'm going to pray for us, and then let's respond how God's telling us to respond. Let me pray for you guys. God, thank you so much for your word this morning. God, I pray for the believers in here this morning who may be struggling, placing your word at the center of their lives. 
I pray that you would uh, help them develop a joy to get into your word, to see the benefits of it, to see the fruit of it in their life, that they would grasp your word and that your word would, would make home in their life and it, and it would dwell in them richly and it would be overflowing and it would, be, it would permeate every conversation that they have. God, it would affect every decision they make from their work to their families to their children. God, that the gospel would go out and it would change lives through us. And how awesome, and God, that, that you use us to do that. I also pray that you would help us make Jesus, your son, supreme in our life. That that name would be above all other names in our life, all other idols. We would put them aside and Jesus would be king in his rightful place. So help us be a Christ-centered church that makes those things a priority. And God, help us respond into what you're calling us to respond this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of the venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to the Venue Podcast.